Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and even strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution, as these podcasts will feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Hollow Man, starring Elizabeth Shue, Kevin Bacon, and Josh Brolin, directed by our bro, Paul Verhoeven. This is time number three for him. This is a first for Rye Smiles, <laughs> our most prolific director on the show. That's not even funny. Yeah. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. We are continuing on the Now You See Me train. We started last week with the classic The Invisible Man, and now we're going with the film from 2000, which is a reimagining of The Invisible Man's story by H.G. Wells, Hollow Man, directed by Paul Verhoeven. And uh, Matt, I hadn't seen this movie in maybe 15 years. So when I was watching it last night, I was like, oh my God, I forgot this, I forgot this, I forgot this. And we're going to kind of get into talking about it at all. And if I sound a little nasally, it's because the the bugs got me again. Like, guaranteed per year on Rye Smile Films, you'll probably get three of these for me. So uh, in addition to our uh, bourbon of the week that I'll let Matt introduce, I am having some Zarbies Naturals Cough Relief Throat and Mucus Relief. By the time you're done drinking today, you should be in a nice state. It's pretty good. Mmm, elderberry. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're back to Bib and Tucker this week. We were trying to remember the cast that we first did this in. I think it's that breakup cast with High Fidelity and 500 Days of Summer. Mm-hmm. I'm not 100% on that. But regardless, it's a nice bottle. So I'm very excited to jump back into an old favorite and uh, do what we do. Here yeah. we go. Cheers. Here we go. Cheers. Mm-hmm. That rings the same bell. Man, that's terrific, isn't it? I really sure good. like that a lot. They had they, they have one, too, um, that I've seen at the stores. It's a, it's a silver bourbon. So it's, it's clear. So probably like a, like maybe like a white stained or just like a very clear oak barrel because the oaks, what gives it this, this, this color, the particular barrel. We have a nice event that we're going to attend later this evening. That's going to look at the inner workings of a distillery and do some of the house generated spirits that they have. So I'm looking forward to that too. Maybe we'll get a little insight, a little more knowledge. It's going to be pretty terrific, right? I'm very excited. So let's go ahead and flight this, shall we? Yes. So today we're talking about Kevin Bacon. We mentioned him briefly in our Friday the 13th episode. That's one of his first film roles. So we kind of thought it'd be pretty cool to kind of look at his filmography and kind of come up with some of our favorites. So what are our, Matt, what are your top three favorite Kevin Bacon movies uh, slash roles? At three from 1982 for me is Diner. It's a really nice coming of age story. Uh, Mickey Rourke is in that film with him. Paul Reiser's in that film. Steve Gutenberg is in that film. Daniel Stern. Uh, it's a nice, homey, comfortable, familiar feeling. And I think it's a nice performance by Kevin Bacon. I think that's a really highly rated film that a lot of people haven't seen. Mm-hmm. In 1982, there wasn't a lot of fanfare or noise around that movie. Barry Levinson, if I remember. Correct. Yep. But uh, So that's going to be my third entry. I I just really like that movie. Yeah. It's just personal. I I don't have some monumental moment in there. It's not in the annals of of coming-of-age films, number one. Um, I just really enjoy that movie, and I think he's terrific in there. But to that, the cast helps him, too. Definitely. And they were, they were all fairly young at that point, too. Yeah. 
Excellent. I haven't seen it in a long time. I haven't probably watched that film in a decade. I might want to revisit it, but it is a movie that I do hold in a very familiar and comfortable, happy place. What's your number three? My number three, I'm going um, pretty recently uh, from X-Men First Class. Uh, his role is Sebastian Shaw. So for an X-Men film that when it kind of came out was kind of like, it felt like a bit of an eye roll, like, oh, they're like rebooting this already and whatnot. But it ended up being a really excellent film. And I think in part to his villainous portrayal of Sebastian Shaw, you know, part of the Hellfire Club, you know, he's really good, kind of this kind of pseudo Magneto type. And, you know, he, uh, Magneto gets his helmet from him, which is, which is a really cool moment. But I always liked his, his villainous turn in there. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about that today in Hollow Man, but. I thought part of that film's success was also due to his part in being there as that character. Took on a very important villainous element, the Hellfire Club. That's royalty in the X-Men universe and handled this uh, Sebastian Stan, Sebastian Shaw, sorry, character. Great. And I thought, like you said, the way they introduced Magneto's helmet mm -hmm. through that film was pretty smart. Excellent. That's had a bunch of missteps since then, but that was that was a pretty solid film. <laughs> That's an understatement of the century. Boy, yeah. Number two for you. Flatliners. Mm. I love it. I've always loved it. They should have never remade it. It comes on. Did I, you see the remake? I did. Ooh, yeah. ter pretty terrible. Um, Yeah, it was bad. It wasn't bad as Brightburn, but it was pretty bad. I forgot all about that movie came up this yeah. week in discussion. And you're like, oh my God. What a hunk of junk Brightburn mm -hmm. was, but not Flatliners. Okay. Again, another ensemble piece. So I think that's a good space for him. He works well in there. And that movie is scary enough, but also smart enough that it checks a lot of boxes, I think, in a lot of different genres. And essentially, it's going to the other side and coming back because upon your return from the grave, I wouldn't say grave, but from the other side, you are given some knowledge that you might not have otherwise had. But what's really great about that film is how like how long they let the person die before they bring him back. Julia Roberts is in that film with them. Kiefer Sutherland is in that film. It's, a, um, it's Joel Schumacher at his best. <laughs> I think that's a great film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so number two for me is Flatliners. What's your number two? Number two for me uh, as Jack Swigert in Apollo Thirteen. Uh, that's one of those films that like kind of whenever it's on at like whatever point I can kind of always jump in. Again, ensemble, you have Tom Hanks, Bill Paxton, Ed Harris, Gary Sinise, and he works well as part of that unit of, you know, the ill-fated Apollo 13 uh, mission. Uh, yeah, I've always just really liked it. That's probably my one or two favorite uh, Ron Howard films, and I don't necessarily love uh, a lot of his uh, a lot of his filmography, but that one's always been a favorite, and yeah, I've always really liked his character in that film, so that's number two for me. Number one. Sleepers. Sean Noakes is the character that Kevin Bacon plays in that. It's the story of these boys that grow up or come to grow up in an... I knew you were going to pick that one. When yeah, I, when I, I was looking at it, I was like, Matt's talked about this film. I know he likes it. I, that's going to be his number one. It is. You're right. Yeah. Not Footloose? <laughs> <laughs> it's close. Um, yeah, in Sleepers, these boys gets into a boy's home for basically stealing a guy's uh, hot dog cart. And then some chaos that ensues. And what's just sort of angsty male hijinks. That's a terrible word. But that's sort of the the premise. Anyway, it goes south and they end up having to do some time in a boy's home. The prison guards that provide the adult supervision, if you want to call it that, are 
awful human beings. And it's rape and beatings and all of these terrible, terrible situations. And one of those cops, that's that guy is Kevin Bacon. Mm -hmm. There's a great moment in that where there's like a boys that are detained and the parole officer or cops like football game. And the boys just beat the hell out of the cops. And man, do the cops make them pay afterwards. So essentially, this is the boys grown up and then making those cops that did them wrong come to justice. And I mean, a street level justice, mm -hmm. Brad Pitt's in that film, many drivers in that film, Robert De Niro's in that film, Dustin Hoffman's in that film, Brad Renfro, rest his pieces, rest, rest in pieces in that film. Billy Crudup is in that film. Jason Patrick, right? Jason Patrick's in that film. Um, I mean, I could go aided to Turo, John to sisters in that film. That's a hell of a cast. Uh, yeah. It's an amazing cast. And uh, Ron Eldard's in that film. <laughs> so yeah, see it. Nope, no one saw that movie. Yeah. Please go see Sleepers. That's the homework assignment this week. Right. Even before you don't see Diner, yeah, go see Sleepers first. It's not a real happy film. The end kind of is, but I don't want to give too much away, but it's it's a great, great performance. So I guess I really like in this discussion yeah. Kevin Bacon in ensemble pieces. That's kind of what this film is today too. I would to agree an, with that. To an extent. It's yeah. a bit of a team element. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm dying to hear your number one. My number one, I've always loved this film. It's the guilty pleasure. Um, it's a... Uh, uh, Valentine Val McKee from Tremors. I've always thought this was a very unique monster movie set in perfection Nevada, again, with an, an ensemble of characters. Maybe that's the lesson of the day with Kevin Bacon is a group of people. But between him and Fred Ward and Michael Gross as Burt Gummer, the Graboids, these subterranean slug creatures, they... They're a formidable opponent, but it's it's horror comedy, which is so hard to do. And I think he pulls it off well, in part with Fred Ward, who's the, he's in that like Sam Neill category for me. Like, did you ever see Remo Williams? Oh, of course. Yeah, the adventure begins. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the one film, mm -hmm. the adventure begins and ended. Yep. So yeah, that, that that's my number one. I always remember him specifically uh, from that film when he he's just like, I got a plan, and he's just kind of running around the around the desert and, and doing whatever. And that franchise just totally went off the rails later, but I've always loved that that first one. So There's that play on words, right? Six degrees of separation or six degrees of, seven of Kevin Bacon. I'm glad you brought that up, yes. Well, we just hit it. Yeah. If the six films that we just mentioned were all, are, are all ensemble pieces, mm -hmm. and the one we are going to do today is also with actors and actresses that have had pretty prolific careers post Hollow yeah, Man. exactly. It's not real hard to figure out why that became such a piece of lexicon. Watch, I came up with this one, and and I tried to say, like, let's see if I can get from Kevin Bacon to Marlon Brando. Watch this. Okay. So I got Kevin Bacon was in first class with James McAvoy. Right. James McAvoy was in glass with Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis was in The Sixth Sense with Haley Joel Osment. Haley Joel Osment was in a film called Secondhand Lions with Robert Duvall, and Robert Duvall was in The Godfather with Marlon Brando. Well done. Yeah, that's yeah. I, I took some work with that one. In five moves. In five moves. Yeah, that's great. There you go. That yeah. should have been the flight. Should, that should have been the flight today, huh? I'll tell you what. That I did some research on it. That whole six degrees has its own Wikipedia page. It's like it's that much part of the lexicon of like him, and he's kind of. He used to like think it was the stupidest, stupidest fucking thing like you could have ever done, but he's like grown to appreciate it and love it, which is which is good. Did you watch his show that was on Fox a few years ago? Um, was that? Taking chance? Oh, no, that's. Gosh, let me look it up. It's, uh, the I'll following? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. 
Did you like it? A little bit, yeah. We watched a couple seasons too. I thought it was all right. Yeah. There were some interesting moments in there. Didn't Shyamalan have something to do with that yes, show? Yeah. He did. M. Night Shyamalan finds a way to always come back. Six degrees, six more degrees. There you go. Well, excellent. This is a great start to the episode. Let's get to what we're here for. Happy hour time and our review breakdown of Hollow Man. It's working. It's actually working. Of course it is. Be cocky. Heart rate's up. She's scared. Okay, baby. Subject began manifesting almost immediately. Protocol is acting quickly. God damn it. Blood pressure crashing. Pulse high. So Hollow Man starts out with something that I already just hasn't aged well for me. And it was the opening credit sequence of like the molecules forming the people's names. It just looks so... Maybe that'll be the lesson is this kind of the the CGI in this film, but it, it just didn't look good. It was like them like trying to like incorporate the thematic elements of the film into the title sequence, which isn't really necessary. And I was like, wow, that that definitely what is this? That was 2000, 20 years ago. Yikes. Like, <laughs> I wonder if the rest of the film is going to be like that. And it kind of was. So uh, we kind of we had these invisible animals in this underground kind of research lab. Uh, Isabel is this gorilla who's, you know, that we got in a little late with this one compared to like the, the invisible man. And, you know, that the, they found the invisible and they're trying to find ways to kind of bring it back. And they're testing on animals first. What did you, what did you think of like how the film starts out? The general rule is get in late, get out early. Mm -hmm. We're in so late in this film, it almost makes the hollow man of this not matter. Mm -hmm. Here's what's weird about it to me, is we're going to spend a significant portion of Act 2 watching the team, which is Josh Brolin and Elizabeth Shue and some other characters, fiddle around with the scientific process to make Kevin Bacon invisible And then once that's done, an even longer arduous time to find a way to bring him back to a state of visible. I don't, why? If the movie's called Hollow Man, it's not Visible Man. Mm -hmm. I don't understand what the point of so much of this film regarding that is, unless when we open up and that ape Isabel, that gorilla Isabel, is going off the rails and we start to see a pattern with animals or maybe other subjects that they've tried the hollow man formula on causing them to not just become insane because they can't see themselves, but a heightened degree of violence or some impending threat because of it. And thus you have to dial it back to the state of humanity. That doesn't really, it's, it's discussed, yeah, but it's never delved into enough for me. And it's weird because the movie's success or failure is going to hinge on one concept for me. The Invisible Man hinges on one concept, and last week did it so well. Mm -hmm. It is when they can't see you, what are you going to try to get away with? That's the whole premise. Mm -hmm. It's it's not the science. I mostly don't care about that, and I care even less about you coming back to a state of visible. So I guess my long answer to that is I don't like it. Mm -hmm. I don't like it. I don't want to watch them bring... Isabel back to a state yeah. of visible. And then when you consider what they're doing the science for, which is to sell it to a government agency. Yeah, exactly. Why yeah. would you make an invisible soldier to then just make them visible again? Yeah. That's I, it's a bad decision right out of the box for me. Yeah. Very bad decision. And it really curses the film going forward for me. Mm-hmm. 
So then we're introduced to Kevin Bacon and Elizabeth Shue, who are kind of the leads on this project, this, or Sebastian, Kevin Bacon, more so this is kind of like his, his baby. And, um, he's finally kind of cracked the formula there in his apartment and immediately video calls her. I think, I think Nokia sponsored this film with all the monitors. And I was like, where's Nokia now? I have to ask you something about this. Go ahead. And that sequence, when he calls her and she's in bed with Josh Brolin and we come to discover that Kevin Bacon and Elizabeth Shue have had a past together and she's now secretly seeing Josh Brolin, who's another part of the team, which I don't know why she would care because they're broken up and I think she left him anyway. Mm -hmm. Isn't there the beginning of a rear window, voyeur, creepy sort of element to Kevin Bacon's character? Oh, yeah. Okay, so... Because you kind of see it with his neighbor, too. Okay, so you just said it. Yeah. If that's what you're setting up, and it is, I'm going to look at this girl across the way and in typical Verhoeven fashion. Yeah. Really good with the female form, especially mm -hmm. naked. Mm -hmm. You're creating a character that once they gain invisibility would then pursue those endeavors. And I'm not going to say that he doesn't, but I want to ask you, yeah. does he pursue those debaucherous or voyeuristic or whatever you want to call those endeavors enough for you to be satisfied with this setup? Probably not. It's a, it's, it's just because there's not, not a lot shown to us. Right. Yeah. Especially after he's funny, uh, how, not a lot is shown to us. It's yeah, funny. You would say that. Exactly. Once he's invisible, we'll get to this dude. He just becomes like super horny and he's just like, he's like trying to like unbutton shirts and Elizabeth shoes having dreams about it. And he goes over uh, to the neighbor's apartment, sneaks in there. So there's those moments, but then it just turns into scientific rage, like insanity. So once we get into the like the last third, like that's that's out of the window. He doesn't really try to pursue that anymore. So no, yeah, I'm with you. It's but he's discovered the the final molecule, the final strand of regenerating visibility, and now they're going to go test it on on the gorilla here now in the in the lab. And we're introduced to the rest of our crew of uh, of scientists here. Now here's something just to let's bring back the CGI back into conversation because. Uh, they spent fifty million of the ninety-five million dollar budget on this, just on the effects, which is that's pretty substantial. Now, here's the thing: this is two thousand eight, seven years removed from Terminator Two and like Jurassic Park, so it's still pretty fresh. But we've made strides with films like Titanic, and we've really shown, you know, how far we can take this new way of making films. What makes a lot of those films really good is the effects are shown in unique lighting, like especially Jurassic Park. And I'm talking about that Tyrannosaur attack sequence. It's at night, it's raining. So you're able to blend animatronic with computer very seamlessly. And even if it if it, if it comes across and that, that scene's aged pretty well, even to, to this day. Here you have a lab scene with harsh white lighting mm -hmm. down on top of the gorilla. So as the gorilla is coming back to life, like... You're seeing every imperfection of what computers were able to do. And probably back then it was probably like pretty amazing. But we've seen total like Caesar from the Planet of the Apes. Like that's a, it's like this living chimpanzee. And then to, to have that. And, and this weekend, the dog in Call of the Wild. Oh, no, without a step back. <laughs> Are you sure that's so good? I'm pretty sure it's a step back. Yeah, me too. 
thinks uh, Harrison Ford's CGI in that movie too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it just it didn't it didn't it didn't look right. And and I don't know if that's Verhoeven's direction or just kind of the way. But it's just it's there's too much focus put on those effects that they're really going to stand out to me. And that's one part of the film that. Yeah, it just it doesn't look doesn't look great compared to last week's effects. Okay, so yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. The volume in those early days on CGI and film is the really th- the breaking point. There's no depth to it. It yeah. it's got the right color. Yeah. It seems to have the right movement and flow, but it doesn't have the volume that mass should have mm-hmm. in order to believe that. I would argue that's still a struggle today because it is a th- it's a 2D image rendered in a 3D environment. And yeah. it shows up even, like, as much as I love the first Spider-Man, yeah. Sam Raimi's, and I love it, mm-hmm. there are moments where Spider-Man looks very, very uh, gaunt, yeah. hollow. Mm-hmm. Not to use the word of the movie. But. Yeah. So in this moment, when we find the formula to bring the gorilla back to a visible state, it looks good enough with color, and watching the serum course through her veins and bring that is nice enough looking but there's no weight to the character on the celluloid as we're looking at her. And it becomes really tough to buy in with that going forward. It's not, I mean, it's better than hand drawn. Oh yeah. But in those early days, and I'd also argue this is the same problem with I am legend. Oh, like the fact that they chose to use those zombies as CGI characters, instead of just real people that they could have done that with that movie lost what could have been the visual excellence for CGI um, algorithms mm-hmm. rendering. So again, in this, yes, same thing. And you just said it, and yeah. I want to double down on it. Yeah. If you take something that was made in the early thirties with duct tape and bobby pins and fishing line, and somehow can make that comparable, if not better than something in 2000 that essentially uses the same concepts. Yeah. You have just taken a three Oh fastball and fouled out, right? Like you've just fouled out on a 3-0 fastball with the bases loaded. Yeah. It's a huge miss. Mm-hmm. It's an attempt, like you didn't take it, Yeah, but it's a swing and you fell it off in there out of the inning with no damage. I think it's a big miss too because a lot of the film focuses on what he looks like, whether it's invisible or all bony and sinewy or watery when the sprinklers are on, like, in the water there's a lot of different ways they try and show it through vapor and um yeah it's hard to buy look movies from 1930 probably have more story structure than maybe movies in the mid 90s through the 2005 because they could buy off a lot of that stuff with lipstick and pretty images and it's james whale versus michael bay or in this case james whale versus paul verhoeven (coughs) You have to, in those early years, have a better story because you don't have the glam and the glitz and and the the effects that you can build it with. Hollow Man clearly is going to need to have a special effects piece that's important. Yeah. Whale's Invisible Man is better. Yeah. It's better. And I I hope we get to this, but I have to say, and I just want to bring it up. Go ahead. I want to talk about American Hustle in a few minutes as it relates to a concept in this film for me. So I hope we get there, but if not, I need you to remind me, Matt, what about American hustle? Okay. So we get there. Okay. So we bring Isabel back and we've discovered the capabilities of bringing the unseen back to the scene, which sort of undoes the movie, but I guess that's the story we're going. So go ahead and roll and, with yeah, it through animals too. Now, now correct me if I'm wrong, but this is how kind of I interpreted the next 
sequencing of events was they go out and celebrate this great breakthrough and you know bacon and elizabeth shoe kind of had this kind of back and forth and we kind of get a little bit more about the relationship and would you ever want to go back in time you'd have to invent a time machine and this and that la da 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 and he goes in for a kiss and she kind of like recoils and it was like that was like a long time ago like we can't do that and then he like sulks off and then we're with the government did it kind of seem like he's willing to sabotage this project and they were going to go forward and let them know about their good findings with the animals and then he just like overrides that and was like we need three more weeks or whatever time frame he gives maybe because she shot him down is he doing this again maybe like last week for love and but but then okay if that's the case i don't get it later on in the film it kind of just disappears right it kind of disappears and if he's doing this science to impress the girl why does he want to to lie to the powers that be from the government that are funding the project instead of having the accolades heaped upon him of this great achievement in some Pentagon ceremony, et cetera, where he's the featured lead scientist. Cause that to me mm -hmm. would be a little bit more, let me show you how pretty my plume is on my peacock feathers instead of let me tuck them away until yeah. it like those motivations are in direct conflict with each other. Yeah. And that doesn't make sense. I also want to bring up one other thing. Let's go back to Isabel. Okay. When we see Isabel and her, invisible state she is a bit threatening to brolin and what does she do to him she bites, bites him. him on the arm she's Hand. gone she's violent yeah so does that mean that kevin kevin bacon's character is then going to come become violent because if so then you've set it up if not make her and this i'm not saying i want isabel to run around trying to mate with everything on the planet either yeah that would be weird yeah but those also are in conflict with each other. Mm -hmm. Do you want the girl or do you want the money? Are you violent or are you craved by sex? And you can have violent sex. I'm not saying that. Mm -hmm. But I don't think the movie draws a distinction between any of those pairings at all. And it just sort of rolls forward with just general debauchery. And if you want to set it up a little bit more, Isabel should have killed one of the team members or something. We've got a team of stormtroopers, essentially, a bunch of dudes in white or blue coats. Yeah. Wipe one out. Yeah. Who, no one cares. No one and cares. you set the stage, like the stakes are up immediately. Really quick. Yeah. So he volunteers himself to go through with this invisibility serum to test it on human trials. Back to formula. <laughs> it's it's Spider-Man. Indeed. <laughs> but uh yeah, he goes through it and again, yeah, the same thing with the effects. It's now it's on a human, and some of it looked a little bit better than on a gorilla, but still it's it's really suffering from just too so much is shown. But again, this is an effects piece of a film effects first story second i would want to say yes but it's successful with him and he disappears and now we have uh the invisible man something to tell the grandkids mm -hmm. <laughs> all steady at 85 you did it you're the first It's a prequel, Jesse. We've yeah. already seen it work on Isabel. Yeah. We could cut through a lot of the BS on this if he's already invisible. And then we watch Isabel in the same state start to devolve or become something. Look, man, mm -hmm. hide the invisible man and the wolf man off the top of my head. All all hinge on this same concept, which is in this new state of me, I'm able to allow the wild part run free. A werewolf is still a man or a woman, depending what state they went before they wolfed out. But now the filter's gone. 
Hyde is Dr. Jekyll, but playing out those fantasies or those deep, dark things that we don't carry out often. The Invisible Man is this the is same thing. This is kind of Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. It is. Yeah. I, was a, I have to tell you the story, and it made me think of this movie. Okay. <laughs> Go with me here for a minute. Okay. It's probably six months ago, and I'm at Costco. And there's quite a line at the door of people leaving. And there's a guy that's like on the other side by the other person who checks the receipt before you leave. And he's he's backed up behind like three people. Okay. There's an old man behind him. And the old man takes his cart and bumps it into this young man. Not young, 30-ish, 35-ish. And the guy, the young man turned around and looked at him and said, hey, buddy, watch out. And the old man just couldn't be bothered waiting in line anymore. And essentially just said, F you, and just rammed his car. I mean, this is like an 80-year-old man. Okay. Rammed his card into that guy's Achilles. E. And the dude turned around and looked at him and said, don't do it again. And what did the old man do? He did it again. And it made me think of this film. Okay. Because what ended up happening is, like, you could see. And I went over and I, 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 I grabbed that young guy. And I shook his hand. And he just gave me a big hug. And I said, man, don't go to jail for this asshole. Yeah. He's like, I'm not going to go to jail for this asshole. Yeah. Thank you. And, like, you know, they... The, the old man finally left and like cooler heads prevailed. Good. But in the invisible man, he writes, he, and I, I can kind of understand this. Yeah. He writes down that guy's license plate and he doesn't know. And so watch this, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you begin a story that way and yeah. you've all like everyone in Rye nation has been there when that person cuts you off on Monday morning on the way to work in traffic mm-hmm. and then flips you the bird. And you think, Oh, it's on. like, you are at that point playing with this concept that I've brought up with Hyde and the Invisible Man and the Wolfman. Yeah. Play it out. Like, yeah. But we don't mm-hmm. because we have this thing called social norms or or conscience or the filter. Yeah. Those three things remove all of those. So the concept is simple, Jesse. Yeah. What can you get away with? And in this movie, we are now 40 minutes in to watch Kevin Bacon ascend to a state of non-visibility, which we've already established. And then from that point... Now we can start discovering what's he going to try to get away with only until yeah. this science works to bring him back. Like you're starting it. It's like, it's shrinking your second act mm-hmm. monumentally to yeah. a point where nothing even matters. Exactly. Okay. You forgot the thermal dingus too. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of full frontal from Kevin Bacon in this movie too. Why was that in the movie? Like, I don't know. Yeah. That's just self grandiose, yeah, for for himself, I guess. I think that's a '90s band, isn't it? Thermal Thermal Dingus. Thermal Dingus. That'd be a good band name, actually. I know, there yeah. you go. Well, excellent. So he's he's invisible. They have to keep him kind of holed up in here. They can't let him go to like his place, and he starts to get like a little cabin fever. And you know, they're they're trying to like, you know, do tests and everything. And after three days, they're gonna attempt to bring him back with the same formula that they used on Isabel. But we can already kind of see shreds of that with, you know, he's trying to get, again, this is why I thought he's trying to get with Elizabeth Shue again. Hey, relax. It's my last night. So I thought we'd try one more experiment. Sebastian. Can you guess what this is? What? A little too familiar. Hey, you want to know what it's like to make love to an invisible man? 
just be like old times. What do you mean? You were never there. What a burn. <laughs> I don't understand why it's so erotic when he gave her a little kitten. What's the big deal? Yeah. I'm just kidding. It wasn't a kitten. Mm-hmm. But yeah, boy, she sets him up. Yeah. Great line. I I, I did for 15 years. Mm-hmm. And we get like, okay, you're too dedicated to your work to pay attention to her. That hasn't really been explored either. So we have just another possibility for why there were issues and maybe another motivation that might drive him in an invisible state. Yeah. But you said it earlier. He just has become overwrought with desire. He's just super horny. So he's invisible. He really is super horny. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he goes into the room later or on on like that first night and the the redheaded uh, scientist is there and he like unbuttons her her dress and starts like fondling her breast and then she wakes up and then she, she she's all weird and then he crawls back into bed so he's like he's like he's testing it like what can i get away with my debaucherous behavior as inappropriate as it is to just go in and fondle your co-worker <laughs> you can't do that yeah in the court of subtlety mm-hmm. paul verhoven would never be the star witness Right, he's over the top. And yeah, if you doubt that, just rewatch Basic Instinct. But I think this is handled better in Basic Instinct. Yeah, I would say it's handled better, but I would also say that's as an like I would say De Palma's really good with violence. I would say Verhoeven is at least really grandiose with sex. And although in real world we would never fondle a coworker, some of the things that are going on in this movie is not normal behavior. Exactly. In the movie, it seems rather muted to me. It's it. He, in a Paul Verhoeven world, (coughs) he takes that further than this movie goes with it. Like, I'm not saying like unbuttoning your coworkers blouse when she's asleep and, and feeling her up. Isn't a that's terrible. Yeah. In real world. But is that it's probably because we can't see him either. Like, why did Paul Verhoeven dial that back? Because even when that really goes off the rails and the woman across the street that he's been peeping Tom on goes and visits her, like yeah. even that doesn't play out to a significant enough for movie sex Verhoeven conflict way for me. Yeah, That bit that you just played where he's trying to get Elizabeth Shue to give it one more go with the Invisible Man mm-hmm. and all of those other things. The music is almost more edgy than what actually happened. Because if you actually watch that scene, it's not that bad considering, especially considering it's 2000. But you can't even see anything. There's nothing there There's nothing to see. There's... Didn't... That's a really good point because you can't see it. Yeah. And every... So I didn't know if he was kissing her or like putting his thermal dingus like on her shoulder. Like, I don't know what he was doing there. Because you see everything in Basic Instinct. Yeah. And so what I, the point I'm making, and even in RoboCop, like it's all over the top. There's no subtlety necessary. And this, because he's invisible, has a feel of subtlety to it, whether he wants it or not. Another 2-1 fastball right up the pipe, and you ground it into a 6-4-3 double play. Shit, this is a, turning into a bad game. Dodgers. Um, I have a great quote from Paul Verhoeven, but I'm going to save it for the end. This might have a little to say of what you're kind of speaking out with him. Okay. But yeah, he starts to get a little angry because they're they, they tried the experiment again, failure, not able to bring him back the way they were Isabel, and now he's stuck in this state. So I think they do a cool thing here, and maybe again alluding to the title of Hollow Man, they make like a plastic like polyform mold of like his head, and then like hollow out his eyes and his and a little slip for his mouth. And I think that was a good look for him. Like that's 
that's interesting to look at versus like nothing at all. Like we talked about the invisible man last week. We talked about his look with the glasses and the and the bandages and the Hugh Hefner robe. But this is something, and I think it's better than nothing at all. Him just sulking around nothing is it's kind of boring, actually. Okay, so this is the American hustle part. Okay. In that film, it's got the worst twist that's ever <laughs> been in a thriller, whatever you want to call that. Literally, we're wearing a wire. That's just so cheesy. By the time that movie revealed that to me, I didn't care because I had been so distracted for the better part of two hours with outfits or gear that was tailored to the 1970s that had plunging necklines that went so far there was nothing else except how much spirit gum did they have to use because pretty soon something's going to fall out. It was very, very distracting to me. And I'm okay with that sort of distraction because I can appreciate that done subtlety or smartly or not so in your face the way that movie did. And I ended up really not liking that film. And most of it I missed because I was just like, how, how low is that plunge going to like, that's the, to the navel. Mike, I think it's just (coughs) hit her knees. This for me, the mask is that same thing. You're right. Boring. Okay. I'll give you, I'll grant you boring. Okay. If he doesn't put this plastic mask on, it's boring, but I would say, and I watch specifically for this, Every time that he has that mask on, he also has on a lab coat or some clothes. Yeah. And so it almost doesn't serve a purpose other than to be cool enough looking so that it's not boring to watch a jacket walk around. And for me, I'm glad you liked it because Mm -hmm. it did not work for me. And I just thought, why are we two thirds of the way through this movie and we're still dicking around with this plastic rubber mask? Why? I just, it, I, I didn't like it, actually. Again, to credit to James Whale for me, his visible man looks really cool no, with those crazy glasses and the bandages. Yeah. I didn't like this. Okay. But it, to me, a difference of opinion. But to me, it was it was something, at least, something to look at. I will give you that. Because everything else, it would have been first-person POV, and then we're in slasher territory at this point. And yeah. I don't think they're aiming for a slasher film with this story. Maybe they should have. But... Huh. Uh, it's either that or just him just kind of invisible doing invisible shit. Uh, but okay, we, so I don't want to interrupt. Go you. ahead, go ahead. I think one of the most profound things I've ever heard you say when it came to criticism had to do with The Amazing Spider-Man. Okay. The second one. Okay. We talked about the construction of Electro. Mm-hmm. And what's your, brig- what's your biggest problem with the way Electro is used in that film? That he's locked up for like 48 minutes of the second, the middle of the film. Okay, so we could say the same thing about the first Godzilla. Mm -hmm. It should just be called swimming. Yeah. You do all of these steps to create this character and then sequester them in a way that doesn't matter. There's a heavy dose of this kind of on the flip side happening in this film for me too, especially at this moment. If we're spending all of this time to create this invisible man... Why are we spending so much time to reverse that process? Mm-hmm. It's not about that. And, and to double down on it, 80% of this film is a single location film. Yep. It happens in that freaking scientific laboratory. So we have an invisible man in a scientific laboratory, which he never leaves, with the exception of a couple places. 
And that's a big moment, like watching him sneak out because they're trying to lock him away so he won't do evil things or whatever the hell they're locking him away and not letting him leave for. Yeah. Is putting the invisible man in a location where everyone already knows he's invisible and there's very little that he can actually do. Mm -hmm. It's man. It's electro all over again. Yeah. And then he's just very angry now. He's on my coattails. He's been riding for years. Get off your fucking pedestal. He's trying like hell to fix you. Or kill me. And you know what the sad part about it is? It's that I have this gift and I can't even use it. So now it's a gift. You're goddamn right it's a gift. And if you weren't so short-sighted to let me out of this cage to explore it. I think Elizabeth Shue's the only one with any sense in this film. And then he kind of alludes to in that... Um, to Josh Brolin's character was some type of like rivalry now. And that really doesn't play out either other than him like catching them later having sex. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He tries to seduce Josh Brolin's girlfriend and Josh Brolin is so kind that he's still going to fix his, <laughs> he's going to tell him to pound sand. Yeah. Yeah. Elizabeth, she's the only one that has really good sense. Uh, yeah. And at this point, I, that's probably about an hour and 10 minutes into this film. Yeah. Um, of a two-hour film man that segment is more profound here because i think i was just so in a haze of just nonsense i don't even think i cared at that point anymore i mean i think the audience knows where i'm probably <coughs> going with this film obviously i'm not a huge fan yeah but there's I, I don't even know if there's a whole lot that i can sour mash with this movie well to me it really doesn't it doesn't feel like a paul verhoeven film either you know what i mean right this is yards away from Basic Instinct and RoboCop and Total Recall. Like this doesn't have that that feel. Again, my quote later, I'll, I'll explain it. But yeah, it's just interesting the the tone, the look, the the characterization of Sebastian himself is. It's all just. It's such a hodgepodge. He's angry. He's bitter. He wants to be fixed, but he wants to be debaucherous. And then, so when he goes on his kind of like debaucherous ring, he goes and breaks into his neighbor's apartment. And then uh, later... To check her out in the shower? Yeah. <laughs> and then he... And then he goes to, like, the general's house that has given him this scientific grant, and he kills him in the swimming pool. I didn't know that there was beef between the two of them either. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like he cut their funding, like in Spider-Man with the Green Goblin serum. He just He's just on a, on, on a rampage, and there's... There's no reason for it other than we have to show him being angry at things. And then the the one I mentioned earlier, he goes up to their apartment and motherfucker. If you were any later, I would have started without you. He was so pissed off. He like, I know that that one got you a little bit. The whispers. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> From first person POV, he's like Michael Myers at this point. If he could speak, he'd have the voice of Kevin Bacon in Hollow Man. <laughs> right. But if he was so pissed off at this scenario and everything, you think he'd break the window, jump in, strangle Brolin, kill him, and then like keep going on his rampage. He breaks the window and goes back to the lab. 
they've set up this thing with his sexual debauchery and we've played it out, I think, in a C minus way with the neighbor across the way. Yeah. He's gonna suddenly show some restraint when Josh Brolin is banging out his ex girlfriend that he's obviously still harboring something for. Yeah. I, I said I was gonna be very careful to not cuss on the podcast anymore. Yeah. So I'm trying to like measure my words here. Okay. But that can kiss it. Yeah. That's no, he wouldn't. Mm -hmm. And after he just killed some dude in the pool, yeah, that's funding the research. So if the if if the guy that's funding the research for the Hollow Man project is now dead, thus the money would dry up. Why would he have any consideration about leaving Brolin alive to pursue a cure for his non-visible state? None of that makes sense. But then, and then he go he goes back, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I was I was just." Getting some Running stuff. some errands. Yeah. I don't know why he'd go back. You'd think he'd continue his, again, last week, The Invisible Man's really clear. What movie, okay, so you know me. Yeah. And this is a horror movie that everybody loved but me, and I'm arguing is, like, the movie lost its edge 15 minutes in when the people were already in the house, and then they pretended they hadn't been. Oh, yeah, The Strangers. This is that. Yeah. It's that same thing. If he's already been out and then sneaks back in, and the whole conflict is, you won't let me leave this cage... That's stupid. I'm going to come back to the cage. Just get out and yeah. go do some evil things. Yeah. Go derail a train. Like last, go kill Kemp. Yeah. Go do something. Yeah. The Invisible Man last week is very clear on his reign of terror and what he wants to do. Here it's not very clear at all because now he comes back and he kills the dog that was barking at him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I will say Josh Brolin has been spared. Which again makes zero sense. He would have the you biggest mean, grudge. His, to, his his career or his in this film. <laughs> he would he would have the biggest grudge against Josh Brolin of anyone in this movie because he is now with his ex girlfriend. Yeah, and they've been keeping it secret, in hidden. They like they couldn't see it. Ooh, there's the there it is. That yeah. that's it. I just found it. No, it's not. It's being sarcastic. There's no he, consistent through line on anything in this movie because he doesn't kill him there. But then later in like the freak, he like. He stabs him with like a pipe and now he wants to kill him. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's all over the place at this point. Yeah. So we get to the final kind of section of the film back in the lab, single location. And now it's trying to, we got to corner Sebastian. We got to, we got to stop him and this, his madness and everything. And we, we got to find him. So how do you find the invisible man? Well, good thing he came back to you. <laughs> right. Exactly. Why? Let's not mess around with writing that and coming up with a plan. We don't need to stand shoulder to shoulder and drag nets across the city. He just is back in the warehouse or the factory or whatever, this this laboratory <laughs> again. Um, again, makes no sense, and you've taken any kind of moment in the movie that might be interesting and ruined it because Kevin Bacon just decided to come home and pretend like no one knows what's going on. There is another sort of trope they're using at this time, which even if you didn't like the mask, which I don't and you do for aesthetic purposes— I would also argue it's still not needed because there are plenty of... I thought you were talking about the mask with Jim Carrey. Oh, no. <laughs> or Rocky Dennis mask. Uh, mm, sure. <laughs> Eric Stoltz. Yep. Um, there's thermal cameras all over the place. So oh. there's plenty of heat signatures that would delineate where he is and isn't in this movie. And actually, I think mm -hmm. that's a cooler way to find the villain than not seeing him in real-time action. Yeah. Through thermal, like Predator. Exactly. Yeah. You just took the words. I was literally going to say like, like predator. Mm -hmm. Cause that's really awesome in predator. Yeah. So I, we just have, in my opinion, 
a big visible mess of invisibility and impossible conclusions to ridiculous proposals. Yeah. What do you think of like their thermal goggles? I guess they're functional enough for what they tried to do. I think it would have been a little bit neater if they could have come up with a better design. But I, I, you know, I guess they, they introduced those at least early on when they're trying to find Isabel. Yeah. And there's a little bit of rivalry that they kind of show between Brolin and Bacon when they say, I'll pay you 10 bucks if I get her first. Like they're betting on who's going to tranquilize the ape first. Yeah. So I guess that's set up. I guess it's set up. I'll give it that. It's set up at least. Mm -hmm. So then, yeah, he starts making waste with the rest of our, our stormtroopers. I like how you said that because they're so nondescript. Mm -hmm. And yeah, one of them, yeah, gets like hits his head on a pipe. He's like bleeding out or hits his neck on a pipe. And then the other one is like stabbed through the chest. And then uh, the other one, I thought this was 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 pretty cool. Had he gone through with it, when uh, the other female scientist uh, throws the the packets of blood on the on the on the floor to kind of create some type of trace, and then it'd be cool to to seen him walk through walk it. through it. Yeah. Instead, he's like behind her the whole time. To the weird restraint that the movie continues to show, we are right now in the middle of not quite first-person POV, and I loved that you said this earlier. We are in slasher territory with this cadre of disposable fodder that he's going to have his way with, and the movie doesn't even have the stones or the insight to do that properly. Yeah. He kills two, exactly two people, mm -hmm. and that is a slasher horror kind of way, and one of them is even sort of hidden in the locker or something, remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, her too. That black guy, I forget yep. what her name mm -hmm. is. Um but then the rest of them mostly don't die, and he's mostly not creeping around in a slashery way. And like you said, how do you put the blood on the floor so that he'll track it up and not take advantage of that in a $95 million film full of special effects? What, that wasn't enough for you? <coughs> yeah, no. It doesn't make sense. Instead, she throws the blood packet on him. Okay. And so we get kind of a terrifying look at him with the blood kind of streaking down his teeth as he, I think, chokes her out, right? Yeah, with his, like, Bon Jovi haircut. That's another thing of that he has gives, an age. Well, he's given love a bad name the whole movie. That That's another, that's pretty good. That's another thing that hasn't aged well, too, is, and this is no fault of the film, this is just the times, but, man, late 80s, late 90s, early 2000s style, Oof. haircut, clothing, that can go pound sand, like, yeah. pretty bad. And it's here on display for the filmic record for eternity. <laughs> you just have to look it up. You just have to watch Hollow Man, yep. or don't. Or, or don't. So then now it becomes kind of this cat and mouse game. He locks them in the freezer. Brolin's bleeding out. She duct tapes him up. And I thought this was fairly, again, Elizabeth Shue just thinking on her feet. She's real MacGyver-like. She's able to get them out with the defibrillator, uh, magnetism on the sliding locked door. I thought that was pretty, pretty badass. Best part of the movie. Yeah. Her ingenuity to figure out how to get them out before they freeze. Yeah. Best part of the film. Yeah, that was pretty good. And it has nothing to do with invisibility. Yeah. So then he's trying to blow up the the lab. So he's why? Why? <laughs> <coughs> Just because he's mad? He's mad. I guess he. He wants to be invisible. Okay. This isn't told to you very well in the film, but now at this point, if he's going to blow it up, he'll be the lone invisible man. <laughs> the secret rests with him. But and he's he so can monetize it. But he's so pissed off that he's invisible that he's accepted it now. Exactly. I know. I know. And in that lab that he's going to blow up is the girl that I think we're supposed to believe he's sort of doing this for. Yeah. 
if you believe that. Again, I've said it a hundred times already, that conclusion does not jive with the precursors that would lead you to that decision. It's like, hey, the house is on fire. Let's eat some yogurt. Like that doesn't make sense. Yeah. That's this movie. <laughs> Get the F out of the house. You know? Let's continue on with Elizabeth Shue being more of a of a badass. Okay. you leave sorry babe you don't have a choice yes i do torch his ass you think you're god i'll show you god yeah <laughs> badass uh how's that burn kevin bacon Oh man, that was good. almost that was almost like a dad joke. That was really good. <laughs> At this point, though, she's living on a prayer. Yeah, there you go. Bon Just hanging on. Yeah, there you go. Yep. So yeah, she's she's a lone woman trying to bring him down. Now this is going to be very perplexing to me because then it, she um, activates the sprinkler. So now we get the the wet version of Kevin Bacon. I love that you said this is going to be very perplexing to me. Yeah. <laughs> okay, this is where we finally broke. This is the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. Yeah. So she's burnt him. He's now got like third degree burns probably. He's all crispy, toasty bacon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and they escape via the elevator shaft. Like and the elevator does a crazy thing. It's like like crashing down. To bacon. Uh, yeah, bacon. Yeah. God bless. Uh it's like crashing like up and down and like it's like blocking their escape, but they're about to get out. He shows up, climbs on her back and like pulls her. Okay, so how's he visible all of a sudden? Exactly. And why is this elevator in such a gravity-defying state? Did we just do something from Inception? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, did Joseph Gordon-Levitt just show up and try to find a kick? This doesn't even make sense either. Yeah. Other, it's just, it's just action, just lipstick on a pig action. I, yeah, how is he visible? Because if he was burned. Wouldn't it just be his skeleton? Yeah, because she burned him, and then she his, burned the hell out of him. His clothes wither off into a a nothing, a dust, and then he's gone again. Right. And then the water comes, and we see him, and then then he's gone again. So then it blows up with the nitroglycerin. Thought that was an interesting thing to spin the vials and the and the thing. That's how he's gonna blow up the lab. Everyone is take this. I didn't, this scientific piece of equipment that spins chemical compounds. It's like a mixer. Yeah. Turn it on. This one goes to 11. Turn it up and let the thing just run its course and destroy the lab? Yeah. Come on. What? So Okay. So the only way he could possibly be... So last week in The Invisible Man, as Claude Rains died, he became visible again. Right. So if, if Bacon's in a state of dying and he's slowly returning to a regen... That's the only logic I could give that. But that's not told to us. That's just an assumption. Because he's very obviously a a, a sinewy, bony, mm -hmm. gory mess at the end, burnt up, and we we see him very clearly. He's not disappearing in and out. That, that was that was weird. For a state of fleeting mortality, yeah, he's pretty mobile and pretty strong. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think he is in a state of mortality. Although he should be, because he's been burned to a crisp. And invisible doesn't make you flame proof. Yeah, but not in this movie. Then we go through this. <coughs> I don't know, tug of war, cat and mouse in the elevator shaft, on the elevator, on the ladder, up and down, just more nonsense Yeah. until we finally get to 
the end, essentially. <laughs> the end of the film? Yeah. Yeah, or he's, she kicks him down into the, the elevator collapses, what's left of it, and he goes with it into this fiery abyss. Stupid. That's the end of him? She kicks him into the flames of hell? <coughs> I think she says, go to hell. Yeah. Go to hell. Boom. Yeah, it's... uh. I wouldn't say it's a, it's a satisfying conclusion because the characters at this point are they're just they're, they're bouncing all over the place with what's been established from them, and yeah, that invisibility aspect at the end that really got to me. I was like, well, why are we watching him now? And the whole film they're trying to work on bringing him back. I don't know. Maybe I missed something, but I don't think I did. There could have been something when he escaped the laboratory where we watched this reign of terror that he inflicts upon the unwitting or the unknowing in. Whatever town is that? Where is that? Chicago, L.A. Where that? I don't even know what town. I don't even know what town we're in. Okay, in Port Adams. No, 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 no. They're in Washington D.C. That's that's. Oh, you're right. They're in D.C. Yep. There's plenty of people in D.C. that he could just go on this spree and just wipe them out. So I guess I am going to sour mash this for a minute. If Elizabeth Shue is then used as the bait to bring him into the fold so they can catch him, then at least we have something driving the latter part of the second act up to the conflict resolution climax bit. But instead, that thing that spins the chemicals explodes, the factory or laboratory is going to come down, the walls of Troy have descended upon our team of unwitting, nondescript scientists, and they walk out to a mostly standing structure still that didn't burn or explode, that basically looks like it just needs, you know, a dust up and will be okay. Yeah, yeah. Come on. Where did he fall? into the pit of flames that's obviously basement-esque that didn't mm-hmm. bring the whole thing down. And at least then you're adhering to what some logical consequences are. And I got to ask, so is the argument, well, that was way too expensive. You had $95 million and this was done through CGI and there's really not that much of it yeah. when you get down to a two hour film. Maybe there was just so much excess on set that the money got lost in a bunch of other things, which would be something we've seen in the past with Verhoeven. Like we, we talked about best movies that were never made and they all kind of looked around and said, how did we spend $15 million on this Crusades film? And there's nothing yet. Nothing, yeah. So maybe this is the same. I don't know. It could be, yeah. So then the film ends and there is a Hollow Man 2. I don't I know. know. If, I, yeah, I saw it. Christian Slater. I've never seen it. I don't think I ever want to see it. It but, has a lower rating on Rotten Tomatoes than this does. Oh, shoot. Uh-huh. But I think time now more than ever, let's go ahead and rate uh, Hollow Man. We have Rock Gut, Well Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. Matt, I'll let you go first. It's terrible. I hate it. It's Rock Gut. This is a, this is a bad, bad film. I think Paul Verhoeven had a chance to resurrect what had been a once rather promising career that had been derailed by Starship Troopers and Showgirls. And then this was the comeback vehicle. And if there was any embers left, this finished it off. This movie's just so stupid. And and <laughs> in addition to everything else, I was just so infinitely bored watching it. It's yeah. just boring. It's long. It's a long movie. Long and boring. And if you can't master the things you want to do in an invisible state because you are electro, I mean, hollow man, Sebastian, locked up, I just don't care. Yeah. And then you put a mask on, so I guess that there's at least something to look at. And I did find myself, to to back up what you said, I did find myself staring into the empty eyes that they've cut to just see the back of the mask anyway. Yeah. 
but he has on that doesn't serve a functional purpose other than eye candy because he sure, has on yeah. clothes. Exactly. So you know where he is anyway. Mm-hmm. No, it's a disaster. This movie's trash. It's awful. I hate it. <laughs> it's rot gut. It's piss. This movie sucks balls. I hate it. It's terrible. It's a thermal dingus. That's what this film thermal is. Thermal dingus. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, we got to start a band. We'll call ourselves that. <laughs> Maybe we can open for Pearl Jam. Oh, there, there you go. Think about that. Yep. Uh... I'm going to go like well minus. Oh my God, like, you're way too kind. Yeah. Well, there, there was things I, that I found myself enjoying about it. Again, uh, you know, the, 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 the stalking nature, the slasher-esque tones that it took were interesting to an extent. Again, the, the hollow make, man makeup. And then, yeah, Elizabeth Shue, it was, it was fun to kind of see her interact with like the invisibility and, and, and like really kind of take charge of this thing at the end. I haven't seen her in a lot of films as of late. So, do you like Leaving Las Vegas? Yeah, I do too. Yeah, no, I've always, I've always really liked Karate Kid. Go listen to that episode. She's awesome in that movie. Right, like cocktail. A, yeah, best girlfriend ever. Ever. Yeah. So there's just can I state some just a, a few facts that I found out could have been Guy Pierce or Edward Norton, which you know Guy Pierce is kind of Kevin Bacon esque to to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, this was his biggest hit since Basic Instinct. Uh, Money, money wise, uh, return on investment. 71 inter, uh, domestically, right? Yeah. But he had this to say back in, in 2013. He decided after Hollow Man that this is a movie, the first movie that I made that I thought I should not have made. Mm. It made money and this and that, but it really is not me anymore. I think many other people could have made that film. I don't think many people could have done Robocop the, the way I did it. But Hollow Man, I thought that maybe there could have been 20 directors in Hollywood who could have made that. Mm-hmm. And he says, I felt very depressed after after that in 2002. And he actually went on a big hiatus uh, and went back and made uh, you know films in the Netherlands where, where, where he's from and um, took a big break. He hasn't made an American film since. Look, I'm gonna. I didn't. That's great. I'm yeah. gonna raise it up to Paul Verhoeven on that because that's a man that was never shy or subtle. Yeah. And that quote mm-hmm. that trashes this shit, awful film and his truth about it yeah. makes me respect him again. At least he knew, look, I signed on for the payday. Anyone could have made, they could have got, you know, this guy from over here, just studio system, cookie cutter director. Yeah, I was not good for Paul Verhoeven. Two times to him on that. Good job, Paul. God oh, yeah. bless you. Yeah, he's very honest, very honest man. Mm-hmm. There was a, a poll one time on like a superhero movie news website and they were trying to like, it was when they were deciding who was going to direct Iron Man 3 and they had a list of like 20 directors and he was on there. Wow. And I voted for him because I was like, that would have been awesome. Mm-hmm. He'd have had to have shown a lot of restraint though, but could have been better than what we got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so that's Hollow Man. Well, minus for me, rock gut for you. Uh to kind of you know keep keeping up with appearances, did you have a a favorite scene in the film, Matt? As yeah. I introduced last week. Yeah, I liked that scene that you mentioned where they're in the freezer and she uses the defibrillator and <coughs> the ability, the limited electricity in the freezer to have them escape. Like I really thought that was pretty clever writing and an ingenious way to get out of that situation. Uh, so that that would be. <laughs> That would be my favorite scene. Okay. That's not a ringing endorsement for this film. That sure. has nothing to do with the picture. My favorite was the burning in the elevator. That was just it was a badass moment. It was such a burn on him. 
trying to escape and he she just lets him have it like i love that it's the most what the fuck moment of this film mm-hmm. for you oh um the scene outside elizabeth shoe's window when he's watching josh brolin and elizabeth shoe get down i was gonna pick the same one that's he should have walked in and pulled him off like in the middle of it choked him out something beat him over the head with a snow globe unfaithful i remind yeah exactly yeah i remind everyone that he's already killed william devane in the pool and broke into his neighbor's apartment. So the two things that would sort of set up breaking and entering and murder have already been laid out, but he's gonna let Josh Brolin make an honest woman out of Elizabeth's shoe and he doesn't even have the stones to sit around and watch and do something to screw that up. He just runs away and goes and kills a dog. Does does he, he does, I thought he threw a rock, but you would have seen the rock. He just kind of- He breaks the glass in some manner. Okay. Who cares? Okay, one more question for you. Uh-oh. Best performance of the film? It's Elizabeth Shue. I really like her, though. So it's not a fair... I, I guess of all the characters I could choose from in that movie, I like I like Kevin Bacon, too. Yeah. But this is not a, a redeeming Kevin Bacon moment. No, Elizabeth no. Shue's terrific in this oh, film. I was going to pick her as well. Carries the movie. Yeah, definitely. And if the movie had been better, this probably would have been a film heroine we would remember more. But the movie's so terrible that it's... It doesn't get discussed. Like, literally, I haven't seen this film in 15 years, and there's probably a reason why. The disappointment that we're discussing now is the same disappointment that I remember going through when I finished walking out of the theater when it came out. Um, I was working at a video store rental that time, and I remember the movie finished, and then, of course, we got it for rental, and we had two big sections on the cabinets for VHS rental stuff. 20 copies of Hollow Man. And none of them got rented. <laughs> After the first couple days, they just sat there and sat there. It just wasn't a good movie. Yeah. And it was, has a pretty good trailer. Yeah. And a decent concept. It just doesn't execute. Delivery. And sometimes that's part of the game. Yeah. So let's finish it with the nightcap. I'm going to let you set this one up for, for us this week, Matt. As the concept of The Invisible Man is adapted from classic literature, The Invisible Man by H.G. Wells, <laughs> I wanted to explore that a little bit. And so this is... Who is your most preferred classic literature character that has, as of yet, not had their own standalone film? Okay, ready for this? I'm actually excited for this one. Okay, great, yeah. Um, yeah, this has not been adapted on film. I'm shocked, and there's a reason behind it, too. But um, it's Holden Caulfield in Catcher in the Rye. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, you know, this is a story, a 17 to 20-something, you know, youth kind of exploring the big city, more debauchery and kind of self-discovery. And it's kind of youth and revolt, kind of written around that time of, you know, Rebel Without a Cause, James Dean. And I just think, like, most classic literature has been adapted to film. Great Gatsby, you know, um, the James Joyce uh, stuff, um, To Kill a Mockingbird. I am shocked that this has never seen a film adaptation, but it's not for lack of trying People such as Marlon Brando, Jack Nicholson, Tobey Maguire, Leonardo DiCaprio, Ilya Kazan, Steven Spielberg, Billy Wilder have tried to get this off the ground. Wow. And, you know, part of it was, you know, Solinger passed. The rights went to, he kind of instructed his agent to, like, you know, be careful, leery about a film adaptation. And that's kind of where it's at. It's kind of in a state of this can't really happen. Like the rights are really lockjaw at this point, which is a shame because I think that's a that's one of the most prominent works of 20th century American literature of all time. And I think to see that character kind of a coming of age film of sorts would be incredible. Love that. So, are you a fan of the novel too? Yeah. 
I like it. Yeah. That's a good choice. Yeah. Mine's Jacob Marley. Going back to Dickens. There you go. The reason that he's been given the terrible task that he has, which is to rescue Scrooge from himself, I think is a story. And the Scrooge and Ebenezer story is explored a little bit in that Dickens story. But I want to know what those two bastards did together before. Yeah. Uh, And you know I don't like prequels, but this is a prequel that I actually do want to see. Why is he in that state of ghostedness? Yeah, there you go. uh, Spectral entity when we pick up that story in A Christmas Carol. And that I, I love that story. You've mentioned that one a few times to me, actually. I want the Jacob Marley story. Yeah. story. That would be something. Real quick, back to, to just Solinger, real quick. I wanted to mention this before we left, but he even had kind of like a embargo block on any future authors continuing that character's story like as an adult. Wow. So like usually, you know, um, Robert Ludlum passed away, and but people still write Born I. Born Jason Bourne books, uh, same with James Bond, but not with not with this character. Like it's like it's it's so weird. I've never come across this before in research where it's nearly almost. If, man, if Spielberg and Billy Wilder can't get it done, who's gonna get it done? You ever seen the movie Tadpole? Mm-mm. It's what the Culkins is in there. You should see that film. Okay, it's it's not gonna give you what you want, but it's a a chance at maybe what could be. To me, the closest thing too that I've read. That comes to that and talk, talk about 80s excess is less than zero. Yeah, uh, oh, right. Yeah. Brett Easton, uh, Ellis. And that film's okay, but uh it kind of it kind of suits those same that same groundwork. But uh, yeah, I loved I love doing research for that question because most people have had a story told already. Right. There's very few characters left. There's especially now <laughs> as we move into we need more content, more content, more content. Maybe we'll see that happen at someday. There's a price tag. Yeah. For Catcher in the Rye. Sure. And there's just someone that needs to be ambitious enough to really do Jacob Marley, just yeah. to write it. I thought about Captain Nemo, too, That'd from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Sure. But, um, oh, yeah, that was great. So, yeah, that's Hollow Man. So, I'm glad it's over. Yeah, I'm glad it's over, too. Yeah, that was that was, that was was kind of disappointing. I was Because we, we've been high on Paul Verhoeven. I think we gave him at least single-barrel ratings on the last two films that we did of his if we do another one of his films, which one should it be? Should okay, we? Okay, so no, we we should do Showgirls. Yeah, we really should do <coughs> Showgirls and do that in a way where we try to sour mash that film. I re- I'm serious. Yeah, I want to do show. I don't want to do Showgirls, but there's a lot to talk about in that movie. We could do a Verhoeven cat because we could do Total Recall, Showgirls, and Starship Troopers, and then we've done it all. We've done it all for him. That might be a fun one to do. That would be a fun one. Well, this is interesting. So next week we got The Invisible Man starring Elizabeth Moss coming out, the one we've been looking forward to. We built the whole cask around this new release. And yeah, I've been doing some research on it. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to see kind of what this offers. I'm excited too. You know, my movie that I picked for movie of the year was The Turning. And I'll be honest with you, I read the reviews and I still have yet to even see it. I will see it, but I know I've already missed on that. Yeah. Uh, maybe this will be the surprise yeah. that is the opposite of the turning. Sure. I don't know how they missed on that. But again, we're adapting classic literature mm-hmm. from Turn of the Screw to now this with another in name, at least, The Invisible Man. But it's got to work on the same premise. Exactly. But here's what it has going for it. And this has been good lately. Mm-hmm. That's that sort of socially conscious horror film. Yeah. This is very domestic abuse related. And if they can find a way to Jordan Peele this, yeah. I think we've got a winner. And I'm going to go out and say, ready for this? Yeah. It's going to win the weekend. 
I hope so. I, I'm going to give you a number, though. I think it clears with any luck, 65. And if it clears 65, 65 on, million? Uh-huh, on oh. nine, there's nothing else out for two weeks. It's lucky if it clears 30 in its opening weekend. No, I'm saying before before it stops oh. winning its weekend. Oh, I'm saying okay. Like in the, I'm saying give it its its run for what it's going to be winning. 65? I'm oh, saying 65. I, I give you that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's, pro- that's probably pretty good because it, it doesn't have a lot, I think, until... Uh, Mulan in like two weeks so yeah yeah I think I think that has a good shot and then we'll see where that goes there but we'll have plenty to talk about next week we'll talk a little dark dark universe next week too sweet excellent well cheers Matt cheers Jesse this has been fun as always thank you to Rye Nation to everyone who who has subscribed to us reviewed us follows us on all the social media platforms engages with us we greatly appreciate it we enjoyed doing this for all of you But um, until next week, I'm going to get going. I'm going to go find an invisibility formula so I can turn invisible and take all this mucus out of me, and then I'll be good again. Don't spend too much time looking at your thermal dingus. Yeah, I'll be be sure to skip that. We'll see you all next week. Everybody, have a great week. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay in the know for future episodes. And be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher. Tune in and leave us a comment at Productions at gmail.com. Hollow Man is property of Sony Pictures Releasing, Columbia Pictures, Red Wagon Productions, Global Entertainment Productions, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Go ahead.